0: If you'd like to turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, as I mentioned in our prayer, we have the privilege of bringing on two men. Uh, As you know, we've been announcing and putting in the bulletin the fact of Steve Crandall and Ron Godown. And thankfully, none of you have come forward to give us a report, a negative report against them. So they are being brought on at the end of the service with the laying on of the hands of the elders into service as far as deacons. A pastor named Bruce Themen, um was talking to one of his uh, parishioners, and the member of his flock said this, you preachers talk a lot about do unto others, but when you get right down to it, it comes down to basin theology. Basin, B-A-S-I-N. And obviously... The pastor said, what do you mean, basin theology? What's that? And he said, well, Jesus, the night before his death, called for a basin, proceeded to wash the disciples' feet. And really, that is what we are called to do, serve one another. Serve one another. I say that because, again, as we look at the deacons, that's what the word deacon means, servant. And as you see in this message, you're going to see that service is so important that there's even an official office of servant. Now again, as we approach the word deacon, diakonos is the noun form, to serve diakoneo is the verb form. So in other words, there's, there's these words, nouns, and verbs, and they're all come, going around the root idea of diakonos, Servant. One who serves. And I just want to give some thoughts on what is a deacon. Because again, you may, be, you may even have come from a different church. They say, well, there's deacons and, and a pastor. And you know, you guys are kind of the same. But you have elders and I used to go to a church that had deacons. Well, actually, it's not the same. Uh, there's a lot of question marks when it comes around the idea of a, a deacon. Again, how is the word deacon used in the New Testament? That's one of the questions. Is there an office of deacon? Some would say no. I believe there is. I believe Scripture says there is. Um, what do they do? Are deacons less spiritual than elders? Sometimes I get that thought. Like, you know, all deacons, they just take care of the physical. Well, it's interesting. Isn't it interesting that in the Scriptures there are actually qualifications for a deacon? Well, if they're not that important, why are there qualifications? What are the differences of an elder and a deacon? I think that's important. I mean, what is the distinctions? Are the men of Acts 6 the first deacons? I believe yes. Are there women deacons, deaconesses? By the way, the New Testament Greek doesn't have a word for deaconess. It just, you'd you have to put in the form of like a female deacon. Okay? So, and I believe, by the way, just to let you, I believe there are deaconesses in Scripture. In fact, I've... I've wondered. I mean, we have women who serve as deaconesses, but we do not officially call them that. Uh, Maybe we need to move in that direction. But again, I'm not trying to prove that today. I, I would say this though, before we start at all, that being a deacon is a dangerous position. Being an elder is a dangerous position. Why would I say that? Well, if you wanted to destroy something, wouldn't you go after the leadership, those who are identified as the leadership? Um, I believe being a deacon is a dangerous position. I I went back, because again, I've been here a number of years, and thought about some of the deacons that we've had. We've had some very, very good deacons over the years. But I've also seen the danger in it. Just by watching their life and seeing... We've had some deacons that... Serve very well, very well, and then because of their time in life, they said, "You know what? I need to step out of being a deacon at this time, and still remain very faithful at the church, and continues to serve in their own capacity, but just not in that official." And I think, you know, praise the Lord, they saw their their season of life. I think there's a there's a lot to be said for that, knowing where you're at if you can really put the time and stuff like that. Uh, we've had deacons who have stayed on, I think, forever. <laughs> Uh, that's great too. I, I, we don't have a five-year plan, you know. Like you go you know, for five years, and then you can step off. Uh, our belief is, if you're called to do this, just as well as an elder, that uh, you know, if, unless it's a season of life, or unless, let's say, it's uh, a health issue or something like that, that you should continue to serve. Uh, we've had deacons who actually went from being a deacon to being an elder. And I think that's excellent too. By the way, you don't have to be a deacon first before you become an elder. Uh, it's not like a stepping stone. You shouldn't think of it that way. But sometimes the Lord moves in your heart to serve as a deacon. And then later on, the Lord moves in your heart to serve as an elder. And you you progress. Now, I don't even like the word progress. You just change the position of what God wants you to do. Uh, in fact, we have, uh, let me see here. Right now, one, maybe one, two uh, elders who never were deacons, okay, um, and yet we have I think two or three that were deacons at one time. But let me say this also: there's it's a dangerous position because I've also seen men who were deacons for a while, who because of leadership got frustrated, and when they left, stepped down. They didn't just step down to serve in the church somewhere else; they actually stepped out of church. <laughs> They actually weren't in a church. They didn't go from our church to another church. They didn't go to any church. I've also seen it where someone will get, apparently, whatever reason, leaves from here and goes to another church to lead because they somehow just couldn't seem to serve effectively here uh, in that particular position. I I, I have ideas of why certain people left. And again, our purpose here is not to try to identify, well, who is he talking about? That's not the issue at all. You know what I'm trying to say is this. If you're in leadership, you're in a very dangerous position. Satan would love to bring you down, either through sin or through frustration. I've told you many times that when it came to missions... And I've talked to different uh, people ahead of missions group and stuff, and they all say about the same thing. One of the hardest things for missionaries to do, and I'm going to say missions. This is not about deacon missions, but I think there's an application. One of the hardest things missionaries find is trying to work with other missionaries. That's one of the reasons why people leave the field. They just can't get along. They can't seem to communicate well, work together well. Well, that same type of application can happen in the church. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, we've got great deacons and others. another thing to work with everyone. So it's a very dangerous thing what we're doing. We're bringing people on. And one of the things, my prayer is that we work together. We see the grace of God. At times we might forgive each other and we run well together. That we wouldn't see those who are being brought on today after a few years get frustrated. Oh, I wish I had never been. In fact, I wish I wasn't even here. And I don't believe that. I'm just being honest as a pastor. As an elder, as one who's been around for a long time and watched a lot of different people, it's very dangerous to be in leadership. It's very dangerous even to your own spiritual walk if if we don't continually be humbled by God, humbled by Christ, realize that we're all imperfect, we're all sinners saved by grace, that it is a privilege to serve, but it's not always easy, right? Isn't that true? And I'm also saying it for this reason. If you Maybe the Lord is tapping you. And you're, you know, boy, it seems like the Lord wants me to maybe do this. Maybe it's work in a program. Maybe it's being of one of the offices of the church, a deacon and elder. But yet you see, man, I see there's potential issues here. Yeah? Let's be upfront and honest about that. There is. But again, if the Lord's knocking on your shoulder... And if you're a man, as far as deacon and elder, then, again, follow his calling. He will give you the grace. He will give you the grace. He will give you the strength to do it. And and by the way, it will be a growing process for you in the process, right? See, he will stretch us. He's going to stretch all of us. I will say this. I believe that over the last many years, we've had a lot of unity. Not always, but there's been a lot of unity on the deacon-elder board. There's been a lot of unity uh, in the church. so again, it's a dangerous leadership is dangerous, whatever type of leadership you're in. Uh, so, I think the other reason I'm saying tonight is, is be praying for us. Don't take it for granted. Be praying for unity. Be praying for uh, God's grace in our lives, so that we might honor Him. See, you know when it's all said and done, don't you want to end well? Oh, I so want to end well. I so want to hear well done. I so want to look back over my life. And though I have maybe regrets, you know, we all have certain regrets, that there would be no huge regret. That we could say, yeah, we ran well together. Well, let's look at this whole deacon elder. Now, again, in chapter 3, verse 1, it talks about bishop. Now, verse 8, it says, likewise deacons... Now, bishop is also synonymous with elder. You see that in 1 Peter, Acts 20, and also Acts 20. In fact, let me read Acts 20 for you. Acts 20 says this, and this is speaking not of the deacon, but of the elder, of the bishop, of the shepherd. Acts 20, verse 17, and notice he uses all three words for pastor, shepherd, elder. He says, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And then over in verse 28, he says this, Therefore, take heed to yourself, talking about the elders of the church, and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you, now catch the second word, overseers. So the elders are called overseers, to shepherd the church of God. By the way, that word shepherd appears, is how many times it appears in Scripture? Eighteen. I'm not that quick at it. Yeah, got to count my fingers. Is that right? Yeah, 18. Okay, uh, 18 times, but one time over in Ephesians, the shepherd is called pastor. So really, when you say, oh, you're pastor, prince, really, the biblical word is, oh, you're shepherd, prince. But that doesn't sound... But anyways, but all the elders are shepherds, okay? So in Acts 20, verse 28, he says elders of the church, he, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, that's another name for it, to shepherd, to pastor the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now I say that because the word overseer, which is the the main word to describe those in leadership, overseer, is this, a man charged with the duty of seeing that things be done by others, that are done by others, are done rightly, are done properly. In other words, an overseer literally is an overseer. He's charged with making sure that the family, the local family called the church, is doing things properly. That's what an elder is. An elder is an overseer. An elder is an overseer. An elder is um, one who oversees. Now, what is a deacon then? Well, a deacon, the word is diakonos, as I said, and literally means this. One who executes the commands of another. Now, by the way, I think this is where a lot of, I actually, over the years, I've even seen problems in our own church because I think the words and the concepts in the offices are misunderstood. Sometimes it's like presented this way well, you know, the elders take care of the spiritual side and the deacons take care of the physical side. No, that's not what the word says. The elders take care of the oversight and the deacons are official servants. To execute the commands of another. In other words, to even, they come alongside the elders to help accomplish. Very important task. But they're not ones given the authority. They're the ones that are supposed to help execute because it just can't be done by six guys. So, I mean, in God's grace, He wants to emphasize service so much. On the night in which He was betrayed, He took water to wash the disciples' feet. I mean, service is very, very important. And you see that same word in different passages, even of the Lord Jesus Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve, same word, and to give his life a ransom for many. I mean, you see, you see this word diakonos in Scripture all over the place, both as those who served, it says that the women served Christ, like served him food. But then you also see that same word diakonos used, For like a spiritual gift in Romans chapter 12. A few weeks ago we looked at, I guess a few months ago now, Romans 12. And one of the gifts is the gift of ministry. The gift of service. I mean, it actually is a spiritual gift. Some people have the gift of service. So you have it, you see it in scripture all over the place as far as people serving. You see it in the example of Jesus Christ that he washed the disciples' feet. He came to this earth to die for us. He was the ultimate servant. But then you see it as a a gift a spiritual gift some are actually called to serve but it's so important that he actually that God actually made it part of the church that you have elders who oversee and you have deacons who serve it's almost like he wants to make sure we get it so well that we are to serve because that's being like Christ that he makes it literally an office by the way, you know it's an office because in Philippians one verse one he He actually says this. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. See, right there is official. Churches actually had both of them as an official office. So again, deacons are servants. Originally, the use of this word and this word group, because again, you have diakonos and diakoni and diakono, but that word group... That word group of, of diakonos uh, seemed to, it was used in the Greek for menial tasks, basically. Uh, such as like waiting on tables. But the term gradually broadened to include all kinds of service. Even like service of the Roman soldiers were called diakonos. You see that same word in Romans 13 where it talks about those officials like policemen. When, you, when Ray Payne comes, he always brings out the idea that they are ministers of God. What does he mean? Well, they're servants of God. What do you mean? Like they're Christians? Well, no, not every policeman is a Christian, but they serve the people by doing their job before God. So the de- de- deacon is a servant. <clears throat> now, again, both elders and deacons are an official office of the church because he says this in verse 8, Likewise, if you, hopefully you have that in your translation, in your, in your passage. See, he's talking about, uh, elders, chapter, chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Verse 8, he says, likewise. In other words, same as. Just like your, certain men are called to be elders, certain men are called to be deacons. And then, it's interesting, verse 11, it says, likewise their wives, likewise the females. And I believe that's verse 11 is where you actually see deaconesses. Now, another important word is, look at verse 2, if you're in Timothy 3, verse 2. A bishop then must be, must be, verse 8. Likewise, deacons, now you probably have in your translation, must be italicized, because it's not actually there, but it's implied by the entire text. In other words, this is what an elder must be. This is what a bishop must be, verses 1 to 7. And now he's going to say, this is what a deacon must be. Now when he says must be, and again, the word is actually found in verse 2, but then it's a carryover, verse 8, because it's obvious now he's talking about You know, this is what a a male servant looks like. And then verse 11, same thing. Likewise, their wives, I think this is deaconess, must be. It's all, those are both, those both italicized. Verse 8 and 11 carry right back to verse 2. Because there the word is, in the Greek, must be. In other words, this passage is saying, listen, if you're going to have an elder, this is what he must be. If you're going to have a deacon, this is what it must be. If you're going to have a deaconess, this is what it must be. They've got it it's it's not optional it's essential. These qualities, these moral and spiritual qualities have to be met. In a letter to a young elder named Neopatin, and this was dated by the way 400 uh, AD. So this was 1600 years ago. Okay, this letter was written 1600 years ago. But anyways, there was a letter written to this young elder by Jerome. Jerome was very famous in the Vulgate and stuff. But anyways, Jerome rebuked the churches for his day, for, for this. He said, their hypocrisy in showing more concern for the appearance of their church buildings than the careful selection of their church leaders. Now that was written 1600 years ago. This guy, who was a church father, said, you know, you spend more time looking at your building than you do your leaders. And I'm saying that because I think sometimes we do. I've heard of churches that literally do this. They, they uh, thankfully ours do not do this, <laughs> but they'll call an annual meeting and uh, who would like to be a deacon? And everyone like puts their head down. I'd like to nominate, you know, and do 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 do. And then they stand up here and nobody's ever, you know. Well, I, he seems like a nice guy. He has a nice business, you know. And how many of you would like to nominate him? Do 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 do. And thirty-five minutes later, they've got their deacons for the next year. Uh, Do you see that as unbiblical? I hope you see that as very unbiblical. And by the way, I don't know of any... I mean, I'm not saying any church around here. I I really am not. I'm just saying, over the years, I've heard of how people get their deacons and and their uh, elders, if they have elders. We have to slow down. We have to be careful here. This is the church of God that was bought by His own blood. This is a church that's going to be under fire. Satan wants to take you down. Wouldn't Satan love to... Destroy this ministry? Wouldn't Satan love to to uh, put some real dirt on this ministry? No, these men have to be, must be this. And that's why talking about elders, but again, I believe elders deacon be in their official. Um, office of the church over in 1st Timothy 5 just a few verses later he says this do, do everything you do without partiality and then this do not lay hands on anyone hastily so we have gone through a process I want you to understand that well if you know anything about our church and our elders we do move slow I mean sometimes yeah don't send us a little postcard with a turtle on it we understand but no I am actually very thankful for this i 'm laughing only to say because it is it is a quality that i'm glad we have we're not trying to rush the process, and the two men that we're bringing on we 've taken a lot of time we've met with them, met with their wife, met with each other met they've met with the the whole elder board you know it's been a process by the way, you say well i don't even know the one well again, yeah, that was probably our fault we may we may sh- sometimes I guess we should just bring them up uh, three, four weeks ahead and say these are the men. But, but really, when we say is if, the, if you know anything about either one of them that's negative, something that would disqualify them from ministry, we're really talking to you, those who actually know them. It's not so much an introduction as if you know this person personally and you know of something that would disqualify them from being an elder or deacon, let us know. We're really speaking to you. So, we've gone from asking the... Some introductory thoughts again, the true difference between an elder and a deacon, the fact that they 're both offices, both are I think men who are called by God these are now we 're going to be looking at some uh, the profile of a servant, and these are absolutes, these are a must, likewise deacons must because we 're trying to guard against low standards we want to have high standards of purity and integrity in our leadership these have got to be spiritual men these are not men well you know if you can't make it as an elder make it as a deacon (laughs) no these are spiritual men let's look at the first one he's a man of dignity Uh, new king james says he's reverent He's. If you have an NIV, it's a men worthy of respect. They're worthy of respect. They're men of dignity. Okay, so you get the idea. He's reverent, dignified. So what do we see? It's not just the elder that's worthy of respect. Deacons are as well, worthy of honor, worthy of of reverence. And, I, and when I say reverence, I don't mean worship, obviously. But you look at the man and you say, "You know what he 's walked with God, he has character, and by the way, not perfect let 's be careful here this is This is one of the areas that we have to be very careful at because well, you know me. I bet you you could come up with some things that I do wrong over the years, right I bet you, by the way, I could do the same for you so uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. Do I ever fall into man-pleasing? Yes. Have I ever had an angry thought and an angry word or an angry action? Yes. Uh, you know, uh, we're not talking perfect here. Uh, hopefully you never see me hit anybody. See, elders aren't supposed to be a striker. You know, can you imagine at a, at a business meeting and, you know, Dale Vance says something and (laughs) wham! Will you just be quiet? No, you probably should get rid of me as a pastor. Um, but anyways, why do I go down that path? Because we're not talking perfect. But this is the general character of their life. Okay, they're, they're, they, the, the deacon is is reverent, is respectable, is honorable. As Chuck Swindoll says, men of serious purpose and respectful conduct. It also means this, as one man said: a deacon must not be silly. Flipping, a flippant person, one who makes light of serious matters. In other words, it's not to say that you can't say a joke. It's not to say that you can't be lighthearted because sometimes, you know what, the best thing for a tense situation, be a little lighthearted. But here's a man who, when it is a serious matter, he takes it serious, right? So that's the first characteristic as a person looks at him from the congregation, they would see him as a man who follows God and is serious about the things that God is serious about. That's the first must characteristic of a deacon. How about number two? He must be a man of truthfulness. Second part of verse 8, it says, not double-tongued. The word is logos, Die, twice, that's what that word means. Twice, logos, Word. Twice word, double word, double-tongued. It's it's In other words, not saying one thing to one person and something else to another person. With the intent to deceive. That's the issue here. Now, as I'm getting older, I'm turning 51 here pretty quick. I realize at times I actually forget. Like somebody will tell me, well, you know, you remember the conversation that we had like uh, three years ago. Uh, yeah. And then I'll, you know, could you tell me what we said three years ago? <laughs> okay. It, it's not saying that he's unforgetful. He's saying this, that he that this type of person, his word is good. If he says it to this person, he'll say it to this person, he'll say it to this person because he's not trying to please this person because of the fear of man and then over here, well, what are they going to think about me? And so he bends to kind of make the truth ap- or, uh, you know palatable for that, you know, and palatable for them and, No, this is a man who lives by conviction and he's not double-tongued. He doesn't say one thing to one person to make them happy and then another thing to another person to make them happy, just to keep peace. See, a leader is a man of conviction who sticks with his conviction whether it brings peace to the situation or not. Why? Because Romans says, if at all possible, live at peace with all men. Sometimes when you're in leadership, man, you make a hard decision and you just have to, you know, and you say it gently and graciously, but this is where we stand. And so we have a man of of true integrity here. He's not double-tongued, he's a man of truthfulness. His yes is yes, his no is no. His speech is characterized by honesty and consistency. How about the third one? He must be a man who is not a drinker. An alcoholic. Now, look at t- verse 8. is very interesting to me. Um, my version says this. Not given to... What's the next word? Oh, wait. I thought it said not given to wine. It says what? Much. Underline that. By the way, am I advocating drinking? No. But I am advocating this: make sure you know what the text says if you 're going to say you never should drink. Here 's an office of the church, and it says, "Not given too much wine he 's not addicted to wine he 's not occupied with a bottle. you know like if you get to a point where man i can 't wait, i can 't wait to get home to have a wine a bottle of wine, or a glass of wine. Eh, you got to be careful with that. by the way, it doesn 't you know, we have a lot of liquor in our society. We're not talking about beer here. We're not talking about a lot of this, you know, no, there's nothing heavy. And their wine back then had a very low percentage of alcohol. But I hear, or I hear people say oh, quite often, well, you know, Jesus would never create something that was alcoholic. Well, the wine was wine. There is such a thing as strong drink. You're not supposed to have that. Even Paul said to Timothy, a little wine for your stomach's sake. Again, too much alcohol. What happens? You lose your judgment. You lose your self-control. We're not talking about that. That's that's going beyond. I have read a lot of a number of articles. I mean, I grew up on a grape farm. By the way, my dad didn't produce wine. Okay, we always sold the welts that wasn't alcoholic. Dad didn't even have wine in the house. Um, I mean, he might have had a beer. I, I just don't. I don't like the taste of beer, so I never even got into that. But the point. What am I trying to say? The point. I'm not even advocating beer. But the point is this. <laughs> Don't be preoccupied. And don't ever get under the influence to the point where, you know, it's, it's making judgments for you. But I will say there's quite a bit of evidence out there that actually a small glass of wine actually helps a whole lot of things in your life. So you've got to kind of judge things out and just be very, very careful. The word is not much, okay? Not much <clears throat> wine. And please don't say, oh pastor's a advocating drinking, he wants us to go out of Budweiser. No, you missed the whole point. <laughs> I guess I'm just saying this. If you're going to stand on a truth, just make sure that the truth you're standing on is truly the truth of the scriptures. That's all I'm trying to say. You know, I personally have had my I have my own convictions in certain areas. I don't want to be a stumbling block to you. And I certainly wouldn't go to a party and say, oh, give me a bud. No, because those kids and teenagers, and everything else. No, 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 no. But if I see somebody at a restaurant having a steak with a small glass of wine, oh, they should not be part of our official boards. No, that's not, that's not what it says. Okay, anyways, enough of that. I hope you got me straight. Don't leave the church because I just said what I didn't say. Number D, D, he is free from the love of money. I think this is even a bigger one in our society. Luke declares that the religious leaders of their day, it literally says this to the Pharisees they were lovers of money. Lovers. That, that reminds me of Judas. Doesn't it remind you? It says of Judas, he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. See, that's greedy for money. By the way, deacons, think about this. The elders are the leaders, but the deacons in the New Testament did take care of physical needs. They often ministered to the widows and stuff. Boy, you certainly wouldn't want to have someone like that. You know, that greedy for money, uh, holding the box. So, he says, not greedy for money. By the way, so you know we are a church of integrity. There are two deacons that always counts the money. Everything is recorded and compared to the amount that is put into the bank. So again, there is integrity with your giving and also how we take care of it. But free from the love of money, how about the fifth one? He must be a man of conviction and integrity. Conviction and integrity. Verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. And, And that word holding means to possess. It's not just this, I'm holding it versus not holding it, but I possess it. It's mine, you know. Now again, the mystery there, it's its referring to a lot that I'm not going to deal with right now, but the mystery of the faith is basically the divine revelation. He's, he's holding, he's possessing what the scriptures truly says. In other words, he knows the scriptures. A deacon is not called on to teach. Elders are called upon primarily to teach. Not to say that a deacon can't teach. But what he knows of Scripture, he's holding it. He's not just saying, well, that's what Scripture says. No, that's what I believe because that's what Scripture says. See, he possesses it. The men we're bringing on are men of conviction. That's holding. But not only that... He's holding it. He has conviction and understanding or let's say it this way, he has understanding and conviction of scripture, the truths of scripture, your theology. He understands the church and you know again, he, he not he's not necessarily a theologian, but but he's deep. He understands scripture. He has conviction in scripture, but not only that, he holds it with a pure conscience. He not only knows, but he does. See, pure conscience means that his conscience is not violated. He, he doesn't look in Scripture and say, well, I know that this is what God says, but now I have a violated conscience because I'm working against, I'm doing what Scripture says not to do. So when he says that holding a mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, here's a, again, a true man of integrity. Just, just so you know, the conscience is not the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, when He saves us, um, is a whole nother guiding system, as it were. The conscience really is given to both saved and unsaved. Romans 2, 14 and 15 talk about that. But basically, just to summarize, the conscience is a warning system. A warning system. It's kind of like this. Um, let's say you are driving down the road and somebody, you know, cuts you off and, and you know, you're going 55 and now you're in a, you know, it's only 55, but now you're in a competition. You know, who's going to get to that next stoplight first? You know, sometimes guys get into this. And all of a sudden, the Lord, through the conscience, hey, slow down. It's 55, not 65. You don't have to keep up with this guy. Let him get the ticket, you know. And, okay, and you by the way, the conscience is only as good as, as what informs it. Scripture ca- talks about a, a seared conscience. A seared conscience is one who has not been well informed. You can have a person, I think of gay, gay pride parade all the time when I think of a seared conscience, who can be walking down the streets of, let's say, San Francisco, New York City, whatever, and they actually believe what they're doing is okay. And you say, how in the world could they ever think that homosexuality is Okay. They have a seared conscience. It hasn't been informed properly. For a Christian, the conscience should be informed by the Word of God. It should be like this. It's a hot summer day, and you, watch and you uh-oh, there's a woman that's dressed improperly. And as a person, as a man, it, oh, no, can't go there. Why? Because my, infor- my conscience has been informed that says, if you even look at a woman, it, it's, it's, uh, it's wrong. It's been well-informed. In fact, we're going to see that in a moment. He needs to be a one-woman man. What does the world say? You can look, but you can't touch. No, the Bible says you can't even look. You can't touch the merchandise. Nope, you can't even look. So, but here, notice what he says: holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. He, you no, know, the things that he, the thing he's been called to do is follow Scripture, and he. Is walking with a pure, or or, uh, Paul says in another place, a clear conscience. Last couple. He must be unaccusable, verse 10, but let let these, these also be the deacons. He's referring to deacons here. By the way, he would also be referring to elders in this. Let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. That's the word, blameless, which means they cannot be called into account. If you analyze his life, you can't get him on anything. Now, again, not perfect, but you might say, well, I remember when he blew up two years ago and he said that really wrong word. Question, did he, did he confess it almost immediately? Yeah, yeah, he was so repentant. He was so crushed that he allowed what was in his heart to come out. Has he grown in, this in the last uh, few years? Oh, yeah, I haven't heard it since. Well, he progressed. Not perfect, just he's progressing. He's Unaccusable. That would also apply, by the way, being tested not only for elders, but I think verse 11, the wives, which is the deaconesses. I remember a, a man one time, he was in our leadership for a while, and he said, if our church ever went to with deaconesses, I would leave the church. No, we haven't, so. But, but I thought, you are not teachable. By just you saying that, you are not teachable. Because I think scripture says it. So let these first be tested. By the way, that word tested is in the present continuous sense. The idea is this. Continually be tested. Continually test John Prince as one of the elders. Continually inspect Bill Baker as one of the elders. Continually look at um, Andy Norris as an elder. Or Dan Warner as one of the deacons. This is not like college. You know how college is? You know, you have to learn all the info, and then you go to the test, and you write it all down, and man, look at that. Look at what the teacher gave you, an A. (sighs) Now I can forget it all. I, I got the A. No, no, when it comes to deacons and elders, that word, tested, is in the continuous sense. We keep You keep holding us to a high standard. It's not like we get in and now all of a sudden, now we can just relax, you know, we finally made it. Make sure that we are consistently being what we say we are, right? I mean, in other words, we are what we say we are. This is this is the standard and that we hold to it. That's integrity. Now, I've said a lot about verse 11. I believe it is deacon. says, let's go to verse 12 because he picks up the male side again. And let the deacons, by the way, it is interesting. I'll give you a sidelight. If you look at verses 8 to 10, that would fit for either female or male. I think in verse 11, it is deaconesses, female servants. Because notice verse 12. This would only be applied to a man. Two things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife. First of all, he needs to be a one-woman man. I.e., he's not chasing other women. He's not looking at other women. By the way, you mean if you ever look at another woman, you shouldn't be a deacon or an elder? Well, you should really take very serious... The purity issue, and you better confess it very quickly. Again, not perfection, but direction. But again, he's faithful to his wife. And I read what Jesus said again. Matthew 5, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he has to be a man of unquestioned morality. He is singularly focused on his wife. If he has a wife, by the way, you don't have to be married to be a deacon or an elder. And then finally, again, this is only for men. This cannot apply to a woman. I think that's why he goes from the general characteristics of 8 through 10, and then now in verse 12, a good manager of their children and of their household. He's got to be a man who maintains a godly family. The word is ruling ruling their children in their own households well, or I just read the New American, either one. The idea is this. The word rule means to preside over with authority. He manages. He's a good manager. Because let's face it, he can't even manage his own house. Why are you trying to get him to manage the church? Managing your house is huge. Does that mean your kids are always perfect? I mean, it says well. The word well means nobly or excellently. I mean, boy... Am I saying that my children are perfect? No. Am I saying my children's father is perfect? No. But sometimes sometimes they disappoint. Sometimes huge. I I don't know the whole story, but it kind of goes like this. David Jeremiah one time had a daughter, this was years ago, who went wayward. And he was, I believe, if I understand the story correctly, David Jeremiah was ready to leave the ministry at that point. You know, I'm not leading my family well. The elders, I thought, did good counsel for him. And that is, he said, well, you do what you're supposed to do in this situation as a father towards their child, even though they go wayward. He did, and she returned. But the point is this. It's not whether they're perfect, but are you acting biblical? Sometimes parents, at the point when their child leaves or does something unbiblical, because they're our child, we don't want to hurt and offend them, uh, we start acting unbiblical on how we approach that person. Again, there still needs to be confrontation and love. There needs to be, again, speak the truth in love. So, have to do biblical action. And and notice the end. For those, again, those, and I believe verse 13, could be the deacons, male or female. Because, again, there's no word for deaconesses. It's only male deacons or female deacons. For those who have served well as deacons, now catch this, obtain for themselves a good standing... I think that's how, and I believe what he's saying is how people look at him. In other words, he's respected and honored because he fulfills what God has told him to fulfill. He obtains a good standing before others and great boldness in the faith, in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Great boldness, great confidence. What does the proverb say? The righteous are as, a, as bold as a lion. I'll tell you what, there is nothing like walking with God. To be bold and confident that, yes, I'm doing what God wants me to do. I hope you were there. When you're walking with God, there is boldness. But I'll tell you what, (laughs) when you're not, and you're living a hypocritical life, and you look one way in public and before the church, and you look a different way in your own private life and at home... There is a shrinking back and there is not a confidence in Christ Jesus. So again, I think he's saying, listen, when you do fulfill these, which are a must, people will honor you in the right sense. By the way, we honor each other, we exalt Christ. But there, and, but, and then you'll have confidence. Again, and I say it one last time, not perfection, direction. Please. But for you, you might say, well, I don't, oh, what do I need to do? Pray. Because leadership is dangerous. Leadership is very dangerous. I've seen it over and over again. Pray that there will be unity. Pray that there might be some problems, and when we have problems in the boards, that that we attack it biblically. That that unity would remain. We would keep the unity in the spirit. Right? Bond of peace. So again, pray, pray, pray. Pray for your leadership. And if you see glitches, if you see cracks... If you see things that, I appreciate when, I mean, even someone today, and I think she had insight, she said, you know what? I don't even know who, who this one deacon is that you're bringing on. Well, help us. We want to communicate well. By the way, that is the whole point of another 20 minutes from now, we're going to be getting together for an informational meeting. We want to communicate. We want you to know more of what we're doing. Why? Because then you can pray. Pray for the building project. You might say, well, I thought that was off the table. Well, you probably would think that. We haven't said much. But it isn't. In fact, we might break ground in April. Well, that's not very far away. No, pray. We have an associate that we've been looking at. Again, we've been doing our homework. Now it's time to present it to you. Well, I didn't hear anything about it. Well, no, you are today. <laughs> Okay, we didn't want to bring someone before you and say, "Well, this is the guy." Oh, no, now this is the guy. No, we made a lot of, we've put a lot of prayer in as a search committee to find who we think is the right man. Now we're coming to you and saying, "What do you think?" Pray. Here are two men. They're going to be serving the King of Kings, the one who bought us with His own blood, and Satan would love, love. To bring him down, them down, or one of us down. Pray. Keep praying. And at this time, we're going to introduce Ron Godown and Steve Crandall, if you could come forward. We're going to lay our hands on you.